You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. After a relentlessly bleak year, the end of 2020 brought the news we'd all been hoping for. In the last few minutes, we've heard that the first coronavirus vaccine has been approved for use in the UK. But now, we could have an agonising weight on our hands. There are questions about the precise timetable for vaccinating millions of people. We're cracking this problem. The national vaccine effort is progressing. You are Mr Vaccine in this government. We have had nine months. I care about vaccines because I want our country to get back to normal as fast as possible. I want us to have that great British summer. Why, once again, are we behind the game? Are we behind the game? And if so, what are the bottlenecks and obstacles that are holding things up? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, when will we get the vaccine? And why isn't it happening faster? June. That's apparently when I should be able to get the first dose of the vaccine. If you go to the Times website and put your age and postcode into the vaccine calculator, you can find out when you should be able to get yours too assuming the government meets its current targets. So, to find out firsthand how the vaccine rollout is going, we called one of the thousands of frontline NHS staff who are ready and waiting to vaccinate around the clock. Hello. Hello, is that Dr Khan? It is, yeah, hi. Hello, hi, it's Manveen from The Times. Hi. Dr Amir Khan is a GP in Bradford. So tell me... Have you had the vaccine? I have had the vaccine. It's been two weeks since I had the Pfizer COVID vaccine. Yeah, it was a momentous day for me and certainly for the practice because it was the first day we were rolling it out. I had mine actually live on on television as well. Dr Khan doesn't do things by halves. Here he is, two days before Christmas, live on breakfast TV with Nurse Jan. Yeah, here we go. Oh, we've got some proper muscles here. I've been working out, Jan, I've been working out. (laughs) The reason for that was I'm a South Asian man. I work in Bradford where we have quite a high density of South Asian people and there is a feeling amongst ethnic communities, I guess, really, that they felt a bit let down by the response to the pandemic. They're dying in higher numbers. Socioeconomic class plays a, a part in that as well. And NHS England had told me 
that there is probably more people from ethnic backgrounds who are opting not to take the vaccine or who have concerns around the vaccine. Yes. So I thought for me, being a South Asian man, it'd be great to get the message out there that it is safe to take within our community. Are we done? You're done. That was it? I didn't feel anything. (laughs) Neither did I, to be honest. Good. (laughs) Thanks. Well... To be absolutely honest, it was nothing at all, nothing to fear. I've, I've had my first COVID vaccine. That is so exciting. I'll be booking in for my second one. And with the Pfizer vaccine, you know, we're told it has to be kept at extremely cold temperatures. Mm. What, what, how has that worked for your practice? How, how have you been able to roll it out? So it is supposed to be kept at minus 70 degrees. However, once it's taken out of that temperature and thawed, we do have to give it out within three and a half days. So we were issued two weeks ago with 975 Pfizer vaccines that we had to administer. So once it's come out of there, we've got three and a half days to get it out and it can be kept in a regular fridge temperature during that time. That's still a hell of a task. Did you have 900 people lined up to be able to do it in three days and enough people to to inject? No, we definitely had no shortage of people wanting to get vaccinated. So we vaccinated our our mobile over 80, so people who could come to the surgery. We vaccinated our care workers. And if we had any left, we then vaccinated our frontline NHS staff. I think in that age group, the over 80s, there's very few people who don't want it because they are the highest risk group. And they've been told that for such a long time. So for them, I think the vaccine is a huge relief. And I was vaccinating myself and I must have vaccinated about 60 people or so in that afternoon. And and each one of them, honestly, they were they were overjoyed to have it done. Really? And I've done loads of vaccination clinics, flu jabs and all that, and nobody is that happy to have a vaccine. <laughs> so it was it was nice. <laughs> it, it must come as such a relief. How soon do yeah. you get another batch to vaccinate hundreds of people? So we are expecting another batch next week. It's subject to change. I've heard from other practices that they've been expecting batches this week and last week and haven't had it yet. So we've got everything in place to start vaccinating again next week. There's no um, news on the Oxford AstraZeneca one. You know, we were hoping we'd get that this week. But so far, we've had radio silence on that one. And uh, no real confirmation of exactly when you're getting the next batch of the Pfizer one. So you've just got 900 and something people on hold, really. The last we've heard was that we were getting 975 this coming Monday. So we've got clinics fully booked and, and ready to go. So it'll be a big task if they don't arrive. Every day you see the death toll get higher and higher and, and you're, you're thinking, well, we're ready, we've got everything. Why isn't it at our surgeries ready to give out? And that's a question... I would really like to get to the bottom of. And I know as a GP, I'm not alone in that. I've been speaking to my colleagues up and down the country and very few of them have got the numbers of vaccines that they need to start really hitting this programme hard. So what exactly is going on with the vaccine rollout? Luckily, I know just the person to ask. How are you, Manvin? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, okay, very tired, a little bit depressed with how everything's going. It's uh, kind of outstaying its welcome, I feel, this pandemic. But, uh... <laughs> I know. I mean, all the novelty's gone. It really has, hasn't it? I'm Rhys Blakely. I'm the science correspondent for The Times. For the whole country, life is on hold until millions of us have been vaccinated. A small number of very vocal people on social media say they'll refuse to take the vaccine because they don't know what's in it. So, before we go any further, a quick explanation from Rhys of what the vaccine does and what exactly it's made of. 
first, we need to zoom in to a microscopic level, to the surface of the virus. Coronaviruses are named after the crown-like spikes on their surface. And that's the part of the coronavirus it uses to latch onto and then infiltrate human cells when it infects somebody. The vaccine works by giving your cells the instructions to make that spike protein. And your immune system teaches itself how to recognize that spike protein. So if it sees it on the surface of the real coronavirus, it can fend it off. It can create antibodies and other immune responses to make sure that you get better quickly. To get those instructions into the body to train the immune system, the Oxford vaccine needs a sort of container, what scientists call a vaccine vector. They've taken a little piece of genetic material from the coronavirus and they've spliced that into this harmless chimpanzee virus. The reason to take it from a chimpanzee is because humans have not encountered it before, so we don't have real levels of immunity against it. But it's the kind of thing that would give a a chimpanzee a, a head cold. But it's been modified. When that's injected into your cells, it creates the famous spike protein that uh, emerges from the surface of the coronavirus. So that's what the vaccine is made of. But what are the bottlenecks in the system that are delaying its delivery? from the factory to GP surgeries and vaccination centres. Rees has been looking into the whole supply chain for the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, which we think will form the bulk of the British vaccination programme. Take us inside the vaccine factory. How is it made? It starts life as two tiny vials, as big as your thumbnail, perhaps. And in one of those vials, you have the harmless virus derived from a virus originally taken from a chimpanzee. And in the other vial, you have a collection of human cells. You put these two ingredients together in something called a bioreactor, which is a big steel tank lined with a sort of special membrane. And you grow this clump of human cells, and then you you infect those cells with the harmless virus. It replicates inside the bioreactor. Inside your bioreactor, you're essentially trying to um, farm the spike protein. You make a batch. It probably takes between about four and six weeks. You take it, you purify it. At that stage, you have what's called a, a bulk vaccine product. That goes to a factory in Wales, in Wrexham, which is run by an Indian company called Wokhart. They put it into little vials that will eventually be sent to vaccination centres and GPs and things like that. They say they're running you know, 24-7. Um, really? Then each batch has to be tested individually by the MHRA. That's a potential bottleneck. And then it goes to patients to to vaccinate people. You mentioned the MHRA stage there being a bottleneck, but talk me through all the bottlenecks in the system. Where, Where are things being held up? It's a very good question, and we don't have 100% clarity on this at the moment. So we just talked a little bit about the the bulk manufacturing stage. Our understanding is that that's been running pretty much at full pace since October, and they have been able to manufacture about 15 million doses of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. That's a potential bottleneck, but one which doesn't seem to be holding things up at the moment. There's the fill and finish stage, is what they call it. They're the process of putting it into little vials. Again, the company who's in charge of that say that that's hitting its targets at the moment. They won't say what those targets are, but they sound confident that they're not holding things up. 
The vaccine then has to go to the MHRA. This potentially is something that could hold things up. So there's there's sort of two sets of tests which have to be carried out, one by the MHRA, which is the regulator, and another by AstraZeneca, which is the drug maker that's making the, the vaccine. Uh, the MHRA says that its tests take between about four and five days. They're carried out in a laboratory in Potter's Bar. AstraZeneca's tests probably take a bit longer. These are not tests that can be rushed. There's very little you can do to cut down the time frame. Some of these purity tests, for example, might take a couple of weeks to run. That's a potential bottleneck. And then the final bottleneck, of course, is just getting it into people's arms. So that's all about mass vaccination centres and GPs and the sort of last yards to the patients themselves. Earlier, there was sort of talk of... Uh, a glass vial shortage, a global glass vial shortage. Has that had an impact? Yeah, we heard a lot about this, didn't we? Sort of uh, the idea that there'd be a run on, on glass. It seems that that hasn't been such a problem. I mean, it's certainly not something we've heard of from Watcart, which is the company that's uh, been putting it into vials in the UK. So note the global rush on these little glass vials doesn't seem to have been a bottleneck. And, you know, one way you can minimise the, the problems there is by putting more doses into one vial. So I think it's five or six uh, doses at the moment going into one vial, oh, right. whereas you know, possibly in another time you might have just put one or two. One of the things you mentioned with a company that's dealing with that stage is that they're working 24-7. Is every stage of this running at the same pace at the moment? Well, the, the bulk manufacturing is working 24-7. There's a company called Oxford Biomedica, which is the largest manufacturer of the vaccine in the UK. They've told me that their, their plants stayed open over New Year's and Christmas for the first time in the company's history, as, as well you might expect them to have done. I mean, the one bit that, as we speak today, is not going 24-7 is administering the vaccine, putting it into people's arms. Mm. When will the 24-7 vaccine centres be open to the public? Because I understand they're not at the moment. And when will they be rolled out across the country? Uh, well, I'm uh, grateful to the uh, Right Honourable Gentleman for what he says about the, the rollout of vaccines. And I can tell him that uh, we'll be uh, going to 24-7 uh, uh, as soon as uh, we can. 3,000 miles away, Israel has become the unlikely world leader in COVID vaccinations, with 150,000 people being vaccinated every day. In Israel, the world's most efficient vaccine programme is underway. 20% of the population has already had it. There has been some talk of, uh, you know, why isn't the UK following uh, the example of Israel, uh, who do seem to have an around-the-clock vaccination effort? Wouldn't that be a, a way to speed up the pace of vaccinations? Which does make sense, you know, given how urgent a crisis this is. You know, the UK has made a quick start on vaccinations. We bought the right vaccines, I think if that's fair to say. We bought Pfizer, we bought um, AstraZeneca. So we gave ourselves a really good foundation. But really, it's about scaling up that pace of vaccination now. So mm. the government is talking about uh, vaccinating 15 million people by the middle of February. You've got five weeks to reach a further 12.5 million people with their first dose of COVID vaccine. Is that doable? Yes, we're on track to meet that target. It's an ambitious, stretching but achievable target and I'm confident that we're going to do it. That's going to require something like two and a half million people to be vaccinated a week. You know, the, the campaign has been running for maybe about five weeks so far, and we've done about, I think, about 2.3 million people. We've made a pretty good start, but the, the pace of vaccination really needs to accelerate by a huge amount.
But do you think that will mean soon we'll we'll be adapting to a, a 24-7 operation? You know, you can go and get vaccinated at three in the morning. It would be nice to think that you could double the amount of time each day that people got vaccinated and yeah. that would double the, the, the pace of the vaccination effort. But we don't have very good clarity on how many doses are really ready to go yet. So when they started with the AstraZeneca vaccine, we were told that 530,000 doses had got their final batch clearance. We haven't gotten really good updates about how much vaccine is ready to go since then. So we think maybe 4 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine was put into vials. We don't know how much of that has passed its final checks yet. Meanwhile, we got something like 4 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine as well, I think. Obviously, sort of, you know, if we were able to do the injections around the clock, that would be fantastic. But we'd need to have enough stocks of vaccine and we'd need to have trained vaccinators. And I think there would be a question mark over both of those at the moment. Although presumably, if the government is promising to have 15 million vaccinated by mid-February, they must know that they can get that much dosage in time. I think we think that the the doses are there in bulk. It's going to be a question of how quickly they come through in a form that's ready to be distributed to GP surgeries and mass vaccination centres. And and I think what we sort of expect is there to be a, a gradual building up of pace. We'll hear about the latest vaccines to become available in just a moment. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The UK's medicines regulator has now approved Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine for use. Originally, Moderna's vaccine wasn't even on the government's shopping list, but it's now the third to be approved and more doses are on order. Now, in the middle of all of that, we've got a, a third vaccine that's been approved. Tell me about the Moderna vaccine. 
Will we have that rolling out here soon? Well, yeah, the, the Moderna vaccine is what they call an mRNA vaccine. It's a, a type of vaccine that uh, before this pandemic had never been used before, had never been developed before, never been licensed before. Moderna as a company have never produced a, a vaccine previously in, in their history. So it appears to be a very good vaccine in its trials. It was 95% effective at preventing COVID symptoms. So a, wow. a result that was, you know, far beyond what any anybody had dead hope for just a few months ago. The drawback for the UK is that we're not going to get stocks of that vaccine until the spring is the guidance from the government. Moderna's priority seems to have been producing doses for the United States, where it's based in the first place. And I think that we expect the first doses in Europe uh, to go to the EU. It seems that Britain's going to have to wait a little while. So it's fantastic that a third vaccine has been approved by the regulator on the ground. I don't think it's going to make much difference for maybe a few months. Comparing those vaccines that are available now, are some of them longer lasting than others? In terms of the duration of protection, I don't mm. think we have good data. I think we simply don't know. The people who took part in the trials which proved the effectiveness of these vaccines will be monitored um, for some time to come, probably for, for more than a year. And it's by looking at what happens to those guys, is, that's, that's how we'll tell how long lasting it is. I think certainly the expectation amongst scientists is that whilst it might last for some time, it's unlikely to be permanent. We'll have to wait and see what happens in the people who have actually been infected or vaccinated. Yesterday, research published by Public Health England found that people who've had COVID-19 are protected from catching it again for at least five months. The good news is that a new study suggests that having coronavirus provides around 85% protection against reinfection. But experts are warning that people can catch it again and they can infect others. So they should still stay at home and obey the rules of lockdown. So absolutely, it reduces your risk by at least 80%, which is great news, but it doesn't eliminate it. And as we've seen here, coronaviruses do mutate. I mean, is this something we'll have to be vaccinated for every winter or, or are we OK for a few years? I suppose the hope is that it'd be a few years. As you mentioned, the viruses do mutate. There will be new strains. What we're familiar with is probably the flu jab. The influenza virus is a very tricky bug in that it mutates a lot from year to year. We're kind of used to seeing the big drug companies and scientists trying to anticipate what kind of strain is going to be around the most of the next winter, and they build up stocks of vaccines. It's possible that we'll see something like that for the coronavirus in years to come. Drug companies like AstraZeneca, along with government officials like Chris Whitty, they seem to think that this will be an endemic virus, something that just simmers away in the background. And it may be that having a regular coronavirus shot does become part of the fabric of life. Good afternoon. Today I'm joined by Sir Simon Stevens, Chief Executive of NHS England, and Brigadier Phil Prosser, who is Commander of Military Support to the Vaccine Delivery Programme. In terms of the rollout and how soon we all start getting it, I mean, who's in charge of that whole process? Is it the government? Is it the NHS? We keep seeing Brigadier Prosser popping up at government press conferences. Is it the army? Who, who will be in charge of making sure we all get it as soon as possible? 
So the decisions about who gets in and what order are made by a panel called the JCVI. It's an independent panel of scientists. They'll set the order. Then it's down to the Department of Health to implement those plans. So, you know, Matt Hancock is in charge of the rollout. It's an NHS project. The Army, I think, is in very much a sort of supporting role. The Army is working hand in glove with the NHS and local councils to set up our vaccine network and using battle preparation techniques to help us keep up the pace. It is my role to deliver combat supplies to UK forces in time of war. We do see Brigadier Prosser at the press briefings talking about the rollout being equivalent to setting up a large supermarket chain in you know, just a few weeks, trying to impress us on our sense of the scale of the logistical challenge. My team are used to complexity and building supply chains at speed in the most arduous and challenging conditions. But I, I, th- I think really they're playing a supporting role in this. It'll be down really in the end to GPs and hospitals and a small army of volunteers drawn from organisations like St John's Ambulance who will actually be at the business end getting the, the vaccine into people's arms. And it's so interesting, that very first stage of deciding who gets it first. What do we know about that at the moment? Obviously, they seem to be targeting people who are older, people who are deemed as vulnerable because of other conditions. Will key workers be getting it earlier? What is the current thinking? I guess there's two ways you could do it. You could try and shoot for herd immunity. So you try and give it to as many people as possible, regardless of what kind of people they are. Yeah. Uh, and the idea there would be to vaccinate so many people that the, the coronavirus can't find uh, unprotected people. And so it can't spread. Herd immunity would be a way of stopping new clusters of infection really sort of growing very rapidly. Or you could follow the path which we are following at the moment, which is to protect the most vulnerable first. The idea is that if you can vaccinate that group, then about 88% of the people who die from the coronavirus come from that portion of society. So if you can protect them, you can very quickly, hopefully, cut the number of people who die and ultimately lift lockdown restrictions. Start to get the virus under control. I mean, are there lessons we should be learning on how to do the vaccine from other parts of the world? Is anybody doing it better than us that we should be looking to? And you mentioned Israel earlier. So if you look at the figures in terms of proportion of uh, population that's covered, then Israel is is miles ahead. And then you get uh, United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and then the UK. So Israel would seem to be the poster child for this so far. They do seem to be vaccinating around the clock. Uh, We had a piece in the newspaper a few days ago from John Bell, Regis Professor of Medicine at Oxford, who was saying, you know, look at Israel. This is a country that is kind of used to being on a war footing in in a certain sense, and that the bureaucracy had shown a level of urgency that was perhaps missing in the UK so far, whilst, uh, you know, John was very keen to state how hard the frontline NHS staff are working in the UK. Uh, He did suggest that there's been a slight lack of ambition from the people sort of running things. So certainly there seems to be lots of scope for us to speed things up. Before we leave you, there is one final glimmer of hope, which might be a big help with vaccine logistics. There's another vaccine from a company called Janssen, which is owned by Johnson & Johnson, a very big US drug maker that might be approved within the next three or four weeks, perhaps, or certainly we expect to get um, final trial data. When I spoke to them last week, they seemed confident on that timescale. The reason why that vaccine is really exciting, I think, is that it's one injection and 
hopefully you'd be covered. How have they pulled that off? Well, it's the same technique as the Oxford vaccine, but they've been running a trial with about 40,000 people in the United States just testing one dose to see if one dose would be effective. The thinking usually is that with two doses, the first dose gives you some protection and then the second dose, the booster, kind of fixes that protection for the long term. Uh, Janssen seemed to be optimistic that they can do that kind of job with one dose. It wouldn't be unprecedented, but it'd be very, very welcome. The MHRA has started a rolling review of that vaccine. We know that they've started manufacturing in Europe and we know that the UK has secured a supply. And you can imagine in terms of logistics and organisation and manpower for the NHS, that would be a really useful tool to have. So I know that there are some people, Tony Blair included, who think that you know it's going to be Janssen and the Oxford vaccine are going to be the two workhorses of the immunisation campaign for the UK. So keep everything crossed for some good numbers in the next couple of weeks. A one-dose vaccine could soon be on the horizon. But in the meantime, is the UK right to delay the second dose of the vaccines that we already have? It was a controversial policy when it was announced. People who were expecting a second dose of the vaccine three weeks after their first would now have to wait three months instead. Now, Denmark and the incoming Biden administration in the US are following suit. But is it the right strategy? Or could it create the perfect circumstances for the virus to mutate again? That, to me, just gives the virus everything it needs to learn how to evade immune systems. If my feared scenario were to play out, the vaccine will start to fail. Next week, we'll hear from one leading virologist who thinks that's a serious risk. Do join us then. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Time Science correspondent Rhys Blakely and Bradford GP, Dr. Amir Khan. You can read more of Rhys's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print, and we'll put a link to the Times vaccine calculator in the description for this episode. The producers today were James Shield and Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. If you have a story that you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do send us an email at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Have a lovely weekend. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.